Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. Um, we haven't got a chance to meet. My name is Will Plonk, and I'd love to meet you after the service, if you're newer to our context. Um, so we are continuing our series, nearing the end of our series on worship and wisdom, where we've been looking at Psalms and recognizing that all life is worship, uh, but then looking at the Proverbs as well and wanting to apply God's wisdom to every area of our life. And so we get to talk about uh, parenting and discipline uh, this morning. Um, but before we jump in, let me tell you about a series we have coming up in two weeks called Upside Down Leadership. Uh, I'm excited about this series for a couple different reasons. Um, let me ask this question, though. How many of you have read, like, books on leadership before? This is how you know, because it was red and white. Like, every book on leadership, like, that's the, there's the power colors, you know what I mean? Like, like that's what it is. Uh, and there's a lot of insightful, good things in those books. A lot of common grace insights, I think, are helpful. But one of the reasons we're very excited about this series is because we think far too often a Christian's definition for leadership is the exact same as the world's definition of leadership. That oftentimes it's almost like you can take the concepts of those books and just plug it right into the church, and we think that's somewhat problematic. Because the vision that God presents on leadership is counterintuitive. It truly is upside down. He says the first will be last, and the last will be first. So we're, we're, gonna look, we're looking forward to just talking about the areas of influence we have, how do we live into that according to God's will, just practically, but then even in the home, like in our family unit, in the workplace, and then in the church. So I'm looking forward to that series. Um, that'll be coming up in two weeks. Uh, hey, let me tell you, this is Family Worship Sunday. I uh, excited about Family Worship Sunday. Um, this is a big deal for us. And uh, we got a couple key words for you kids out there uh, to write down. So this is to be looking for in the sermon. The first one is discipline. The second one is joy. And then the third one is wisdom. So for my kids out there, those are the three words to be paying attention to in the sermon. And as we look at this proverbial portrayal of parenting, um, it's important to note a couple of things. First, we're looking at how the Proverbs portray parenting. There's other truths about parenting. One is modeling, like the scriptures talk about that a lot. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 talks about that. Uh, so we think that's really one of the reasons we do family worship is so uh, your kids can see you worship, like can see you raise your hands, can see you pray, can see you come get communion and see why you do that. Like, so modeling is important, but we're looking specifically at how the Proverbs discuss uh, parenting. So for my parents out there, it's going to be real easy for you to apply the sermon to yourself. For the kids, you too. Uh, for, now let me speak to everybody else for a minute because this is very relevant for you too for a couple reasons. One is this, is that many of you are spiritual parents. Your spiritual parents. What do I mean? I mean, you have, or maybe you should have, people in your life whom you are loving and trying to pour into. And I think there's a lot of application there. But here's the, here's the most, I think, explicit way this is for everybody, is because the chief word we're talking about is the word discipline. We're looking at how the Proverbs uses the word discipline. And it's important and helpful, and we all need it. So that's what we're talking about today. Y'all in? Don't really have a choice at this point. Um, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Father in heaven, 
we come before you, and we just pray that we'd have a couple minutes where we can focus on you and your word. We're thankful that you're a God who speaks, that you've declared your intent and your will and your love to us through the Bible, that we read it and we receive not only information, but we see, receive your voice. As the scriptures say in Jesus, as you said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We pray we could view the preaching of your word and every time we open up the scriptures as a moment for us to be nourished and to be fed. Lord, help me to get out of the way. Holy Spirit, we invite you here knowing you are here because your people are gathered and we just pray you'd work. All God's kids said, amen. So, you know, as we talk about this idea of discipline, biblically, proverbial, if you look at the word, the the word discipline has this corrective and instructive, sometimes used to refer to chastisement, like physical chastisement feature to it. So it is like instruction that comes in form of correction. So when we're going one way, the instruction kind of leads us another way. That's the word. And it's used a number of times in the Proverbs, about 15. Six, it's directly speaking towards parenting. And I'm just going to read them to you so we can hear them. It says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. So my parents said, amen. But the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Discipline your children. And they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. As you really just do a word survey over discipline in the Proverbs, this is what you're going to get. we got another slide for you in a couple ways the Proverbs talks about discipline and parenting. It says it drives away, the big themes, drives away folly, it prevents death, it imparts wisdom, and it's an expression of love. For you note takers, here's an innocent in a sentence. Proverbial discipline is an expression of love that expels folly, it prevents death, and it imparts wisdom. So that's what we're going to talk about today as we talk about discipline. So first, it expresses love. It says this, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So it starts off, my son, a word of endearment. Don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't resent his rebuke. Why do you think he says that from the jump, like from the beginning of that verse? Before he's about to tell you about discipline, why would he say, hey, don't despise the discipline. Don't resent it. Because we might have a disposition or propensity to despise discipline, to resent rebuke. Who's going to be honest? Who's like, what did you just say to me? Like, I don't know how many times, like, you come home from work to your roommate, your spouse. You're like, how, they're like, how's your day? You're like, you know what? My boss chewed me out. You know, I got corrected. I got rebuked. And, you, and then your roommate or spouse looks at you and goes, man, your boss must love you. Like, they must, that they would do that for you? 
that they would just repeat that. You're lucky. You're blessed. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that probably doesn't happen a lot. But what, what is this doing? Why is it saying don't despise the Lord's discipline? Don't resent his rebuke? Because there's this propensity we might have to interpret the good things of God, which is discipline, as something negative. And it's this proverbial call to reinterpret our feelings, to, to re-understand the way things are happening so that we understand the thing that might not initially feel good is actually an expression of love is the idea. We had a pastor from uh, Grace Church come and teach our ministry cohort uh, this past Monday, which uh, that is a 15-month uh, theological ministerial school we do as a church. And he was talking about a culture of feedback culture of feedback. He was talking about shepherding and discipleship, and so we were having this whole conversation on feedback, and it was interactive, and he said, hey, he said, uh, how many of you have ever had, like, some kind of hard feedback like that? And one of them was like, there's a lady there who said, I've, I've definitely had that. And she's like, who gave it to you? And she was like, and right, she was pointing right here, and it was Mally. Mally was the one. See, you think Mally, my wife's the sweet one, but she, she can bring it. Those of you who know her, she will bring it. So you better be careful. So, like, they're like that. And, the, and then the person was like, how'd that make you feel? They're like, well, I was crying. Like, I was just, I was, and they're like, and what do you think about the relationship? She was like, she loves me so much. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and it, it's, one of the, it's, it's interesting to think something that initially would cause someone to cry would in the long run be interpreted as love that initially isn't received well, in the long run is received as an expression of affirmation, an expression of love. Why? Because there's something in it that you recognize, if they didn't love me, they wouldn't have spoken into me. They wouldn't actually have corrected me. Because many of us choose to not correct, not because we love the person, but because we love ourselves. And we're afraid of what would happen if we do that. And what this is saying is, don't despise the Lord's discipline, don't resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in, the son that is delighted in by the father is disciplined from the father. Meaning like, the son that's the most cherished by the dad in a, in a special way is going to discipline him. That's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting. For you parents out there, it's like the one you love the most, the kid you love the most, you're like, I just can't do it. Anybody like that? Like, I just can't. I love him too much. This says, no, it's actually the opposite is true. It's this expression of love. And, and so I just want to ask from the beginning, how are you receiving that discipline or correction from God? How are you receiving it? How am I receiving it? How are we receiving this, this maybe discipline from God where he's, he's, correcting us. He's changing the direction we'd go in. He's applying pressure to our lives. And as we are giving it to those around us, specifically our children, how are we doing it? Is it an expression of love or questions to ask? This expression of love is supposed to do something though, okay? First thing it does, it expels folly. Let me show you this verse. It says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far away. Literally, it says, there, there's something within the kid that is bad. It's folly. It's sinful. There's something within that is corrupt, that needs to be expelled. I was having a conversation, too, with Mal, and 
my wife, and uh, we're, you know, as parents, those of you out there, you get this, like the world's crazy, so a lot of times you're trying to protect your kids from this world, right? Like it, it's complicated out here. And you're like, should they watch this movie? I don't know if they should watch this movie. Should they spend a night at a friend's house? I don't really know if they should spend a night at a friend's house. How's that influence on them? You know what I'm saying? Like, like you're trying to navigate how do I protect my children. But, but here's how the Bible presents it. Not only is there evil out there that we're to protect our children from, but there's evil within them. There is folly bound up in them that we must protect them for. And I say children, but I really mean all people, right? Like, like that's why we need correction is because we need external discipline to expel something that's from within. Let me give you an illustration to make sure you remember this point. You ain't gonna forget it. You ready? We need discipline to press in to expel the infection like a zit. Y'all got it now. You know what I'm saying? Like, like now you're going to remember the point, though. So it's like discipline is the, I'm not going to do it anymore, right? You know, you know what I'm saying. But it, the idea seriously is that we need, extra, we need something on us to expel the folly that's within us. We need pressure. We need, we need discipline. We need something. And kids do, too. They, they need consequence. They need discipline. They, they need something in their life to expel it. Like, we, we see a kid born, and we're like, oh, man, just so innocent. So innocent. The Bible's like totally depraved. <laughs> folly bound up within them. You know, who sees it like, my child's born, so much folly in this child. You know, like, we don't. Now, now there, when we say innocent, I would say we're actually, we're, we're attaching something that is true, like, the imago day on our child, that they're made in the image of God, there's something beautiful there too. So it's not that that's not true at all, but it's also that there's another true feature that is there's a sinful nature within them. And we can't just protect them from the world like we go, you know, all the things that are bad in them is coming from out there. And the, you know what I'm saying? Like, notice, like there's something within that needs to be, needs to be expelled. So, so I was out, as I was in a high school, uh, my senior year, I had been acting a fool, and so there was more consequence in my life than had been. And one of the new consequences that was a part of my life my senior year is I could not have girls in my room with the door closed. And I'll never forget, like, I came home one day with two friends, and I, wa I walked in, I walked to my room, and there in my room was all this trash that had not been there. And it was like, it was all this plastic from where I had uh, pre, I, was an, I was a paper boy. I delivered the Daniel Island newspaper. So I had all this trash in my room, but I hadn't left it in my room. So I went, down, I went downstairs and I said, Dad, why is this trash in my room? He said, because you left it in my living room. I said, oh, no. So I went and I got this trash. I grabbed it, and I just threw it downstairs. I said, well, there you go. And I closed, it, I closed my door and locked it. All right? So then my dad, like, so right, like, I do, like, my selfishness, leaving it down there, I'm like, not going to have it, justified in my own eyes, kind of throw it down there. Then he comes up, tries to get in the room, and it's locked, right? So breaking a rule. So then I proceed to leave, and as I'm starting to leave, my dad says, hey, you broke the rule. Expect when you come home your door to be off the hinges. I, justified in my own eyes, said, well, expect there to be a hole in your door. So I took my friends home, and I came back, went upstairs, the door's off the hinges. So guess what I did? I went to their room. My mom's right here. She can testify. I closed the door, <laughs> and I said, all right, here we go. And I said, boo! But the first time, literally, I fell over backwards. I didn't kick hard enough. 
and I fell down on my back. Yeah, God's trying to teach me a lesson. Second time, though, I got through it, all right? Second, I, you know, I get through it. And I'll never forget, my dad came up to me and said, you need to pack your bag and leave. And, and in that moment, it was like cold water had been poured on my body because I finally realized the consequence of my sin. Here's why I say this story is because it started with my selfishness, just leaving the trash on the ground, right? There was a consequence that was moved to my room. Instead of understanding the consequence initially, I self-justified and bowed up my sinful nature, the folly within me. So I threw it downstairs, locked the door, and then there was another consequence. The door was removed. But instead of letting that consequence do what it needed to do, I bowed up again in self-righteousness, and then I kicked a hole through the door. And it wasn't until the third consequence did I finally realize that I was the one at fault. This is what discipline is intended to do. It's, it's on us to reveal, it reveals something in us. It's showing us that there's something broken inside of us. It's showing us that there is folly bound up in a sin that's bound up in us, that we need community to press on so that we get it out. And we all need this. We all need this. We need people in our lives and good godly parents will do this. They will apply pressure to the parts of our life that are not good so that we become more aware of our sin. And we need to become more aware of our sin. And this is to the third point. Why? What is discipline supposed to do? It prevents death. This is why we must be aware of our sin, because it shows us that there is a wage to our sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And for many of us, we don't understand that there is a wage to our sin, that when we sin, it has a result. We are buying something with our sin, and the thing that we're buying is death upon us. When we sin, we're buying death, and so we need it to be expelled. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We need to understand sin is going to lead to death. But God wants to give us something new. So discipline expels folly. That's why we do it, and it prevents death. It says this, don't withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. Yes, I am emphasizing rod. So I was like, I was like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's not going to be the sermons about justice or sexuality or race that get me kicked out the pulpit. It's going to be the one on parenting. We're about to talk about spanking for a second, all right? <clears throat> the word rod means physical chastisement. That's what it's referring to. That's akin to spanking. I'm not saying it is exactly that, but it's, it's physical chastisement. That is what it's referring to. So does the Bible then teach if you don't spank that you're sinning and disobeying God? It is not, I would not go that far. Because the Proverbs in its genre is teaching things that are generally true about life, how God has ordered the world. But if you pay attention to how much it talks about the rod of discipline in the Proverbs, you cannot get around the fact that it is presenting this idea that for the vast majority of kids, some type of physical chastisement is for their good. That is what the Proverbs present. Some type of physical chastisement is for their good. 
All right, so now we're going to talk about it, right? I said we're going to go there. I know there's lots of thoughts and opinions, and I think rightfully so on this topic, because the big question is this, is like, okay, like if the Proverbs presents this, then what is the difference between hitting and the rod of discipline? You know, like what's the difference between abuse and this kind of, this rod of discipline, some type of physical chastisement that Proverbs presents? And here's the answer. It's love. The difference is love. Remember, we started with, it's an expression of love. The difference is the motive and the intention behind the physical chastisement. And, and here's what I want to say again. Some of us, it can be really hard to hear this because we were not disciplined in a physical sense in love. It was from abuse. It was from selfishness. Like, it, 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 was, it wasn't that. And so that's not what the... Proverbs is presenting, and I, I genuinely want to say sorry because that happens, and it's broken, and, it's, and it needs to be fought against, but it does not remove the proverbial idea that is presented. So I recently read um, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. It's a fun book to read. Um, it's, ba it's based on uh, uh, Trevor Noah, biracial man born in South Africa under apartheid, which was you know, the legalized system of racism and oppression. And so he's, he's on the tail end of that in his, in his childhood. And it's a, it's a fun read, but he talks a lot about his mama whipping his butt. Like, he, he talks about a lot. And some of you, that's what your mamas did. You know what I'm saying? You're like, yeah, that's just, it's part of life, you know? Like, some of you are like that. Some of you, not so much. There can be cultural aspects of that, right, too. Like, it's like, some of you, that was it. But he presents this a lot in, like, kind of a humorous way. But at one point in the book that's very fascinating, he contrasts the whippings from his mom, the spankings from his mom, and this encounter he had with his stepdad when his stepdad was hitting him. And when he contrasts it, he doesn't so much say that it was the intensity as it was when his stepdad looked at him. There was no love in his eyes. That there was only anger. And his intent was not for the development, the holiness, the loving of God, the grace to be unto his kid. It was instead to just lash out at him. Do you feel what I'm saying? Like, one is the expression of love. The other one is, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. One is the expression of anger, and like that, that is the fundamental difference, is what is the motive and the intention behind this rod of discipline. And again, I think the big thing to look at is like, I'm like, you go do blue letter Bible, that thing. You go look it up. You go look at what it means. Read it, like how it's describing it, how it's talking about it. But it's intended to be this expression of love, and, and in, the, in that memoir, it's interesting how he, descri he, he describes it because he, like, in all the, the whippings his mom gave him, he's like, I knew she was always doing it in love. Like, she would say, I'm trying to save you, boy. Like, she would like, I'm trying to redirect you. Like, like that was the intention behind it. And, and it's just, it's so different in that regard when that is the intention. So we did a parenting class about a year ago, and, and we're going to... Um, we're going to do another one next year. We did some do's and don'ts 
And so I just want to walk you through some like, practical stuff of, of parenting and discipline, some don'ts and some do's. So don't parent or discipline to make your life easier, right? It's, it's not about making your life easier. It's about helping your kid love God. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to do this because it's going to be simpler. Don't do it to protect or promote your own image. Protect or promote your own image. Like parenting is not about us as parents, and I don't know about you, maybe I'm the only parent out there, but sometimes you want your kid to behave a certain way because it looks good on you. Nobody said nothing, but I know. You're like, you know, you want to get him, like, hey, you got well-behaved kids. You're like, well, thank you. I do. You know, and like at that moment, every, the reason they're well-behaved is everything you did. God didn't make them that way. Nobody else, I did that. You know what I'm saying? And then like when they would disbehave, like, I don't know whose child that is. For real, like, that's it. You know what I'm saying? But like, it's not about us. It's not to parent to make our, or to protect or promote our own image. Don't do it out of anger. The Bible's very explicit in James 1.20 that man or human's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. It does not produce the righteousness of God. And so when we discipline out of anger, that is sin. If we're angry and our kid runs by and we hit them really quick, that is a hit. That is not a spank. That is not what that is. Like we, like we have to be intentional to know. Like we, we might need to calm down first because we might feel like the offense is primarily against us because you know what God will say? That offense is not primarily against you. That offense is against him. It's against him. And that's the next point, so that they fear you. Do not parent so that they fear you. Our kids are not supposed to fear us. They're supposed to fear God. That's what we're trying to instill in them is the fear of God. Last point, super important. Do not parent without considering their uniqueness. Kids are very different. And if you have more than one kid, you know. And so your parenting has to take on different features based on the uniqueness of your kid. You should not parent your kids all the same way. Take on uniqueness. And kids respond differently to physical chastisement. They respond differently. And so we got to be aware of that. Specifically, let me tell you this, specifically children who are fostered and adopted, it's a whole different thing because there's a whole layer of safety and connection that has to be built first. All right? So it's just important for us to consider the uniqueness in our children when we parent. So now some do's to parenting, some do's. Parent towards biblical standards, not your own standard. Like the goal is not to create little Pharisees or, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that's not the aim. You see them to do what you want to do. Again, towards biblical standards. Next one, with consistency. This is a quote. I can't remember who it's from, but it says, no human is able to hear something once and then fully and consistently obey. Isn't that true? None of us hear something one time, we're like, got it. Like, that's just not how our life has worked. We have to hear stuff in repetition, and, and so do our children. We need to talk to them, and we have to remind them, and we have to understand that's part of them being human. I mean, I don't, how many times have you said, I, for your parents, like, why can't you just obey? Why can't you just obey? Let's think about what we're saying. This is what we're saying. Why don't, why don't you just not need Jesus? Why don't you just not need Jesus? 
They need Jesus. We need Jesus. Like, of course they can't obey perfectly. Folly is bound up in their heart. They need a Savior. Their, their inability to obey is a grace given to them and to us because we get to then tell them about the one who obeyed perfectly. We get to point them to their need for someone who is perfect and who can obey and who has been so gracious that they would die for them. With prayer. With prayer. We need to surround that moment with prayer. This is true when we give feedback to somebody, too, just to be real. Like, you without kids, like, sometimes you're like, that person did something wrong? All right, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, let's go. No, 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 no. Let's stop. <laughs> let's pray and recognize, who, who, how, how do I feel? Am I primarily concerned with giving them feedback because I want to express love for them to love God? Or am I primarily like, I just feel hurt, you know? And, and we, with our kids, I think that moment when it's physical chastisement must be surrounded in prayer. Well, what if they associate prayer with spanking? Well, they won't if you pray with them other times. If you just pray with them when you spank them, they will. And that shouldn't be the only time we're praying with our kids. With words of why, you know, God did not just give us a book of law. The word is, like Jesus even in John 1 says, like the word became flesh. He, came, he put flesh on him. And, and God gives us reasoning behind things oftentimes. And either way, we get to know him relationally. And I very much believe we are to engage our kids, explain reasoning to our kids, to, to, to try to point to the fact that this is about God, you know? Like, it's so easy for kids to say, like, when I grow up, like, I'm a, then I'm going to be able to do what I I'm going to be in charge. I'll be able to do what I want to do. And we have to model for our kids that that is not true. We grow up. We submit. We are people under authority. We submit to God. And so we're trying to explain the why behind even what's happening in this moment. Like, this is it's supposed to be surrounded in love, okay? And let me say something. As a pastor of this, this church in particular, I very much believe our young families need to spank our kids more. All right, that's it. <clears throat> Read, you know, do a study on Proverbs and see. See what you think. See if I'm off base. But, but it's not about what we want to do. And parenting is just not, it's not about what we want to do. It has nothing to do with what we want to do. It's a, it's, what we want is almost irrelevant. What God wants is everything. So regardless of what culture says, it's just we got we to gotta be the most biblical we can be. And it just, again, there is uniqueness and nuance, but I think so many of us are quick to go, this isn't relevant for me. And, and that's the same way we do with most biblical stuff. We, I do it all the time. So it's an expression of love. It expels folly. It prevents death, but it imparts wisdom. So discipline is intended to produce something. Not only are we kind of getting rid of bad, but we're trying to instill good. Like if there's one word I would have you associate with parenting, it's actually not discipline, it's discipleship. Because when a child disobe disobeys, discipline should always come and it should always be leading towards discipleship, leading towards wisdom, producing something. Like there's an order. 
Like when disobedience happens, it should lead to discipline, to impart wisdom, to lead towards discipleship because we're trying to help our kids grow in love of Christ, grow in wisdom so that they might be wise unto Christ in the gospel. Like we want them to grow in understanding God and godliness and the word of God, again, so that they might know Jesus. So let me just tell you something a little bit because I think this idea of discipline can sometimes be can be juxtaposed against the gospel, and I want to tell you today, no, 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 no. They're not opposites. Discipline is not the opposite of the gospel at all. Discipline is intended to lead towards the gospel. The law, even the way God has given it, his intention for it is to lead us to even know when we can't do it, to lead us towards grace in the gospel. This is what I want you to understand, family, is it's to lead towards it. Brian Loritz says this, grace cannot exist without a standard. Grace cannot exist without a standard. If we think we can just give people grace, give children grace without them first understanding the standard, they're not going to understand grace. And let me tell you something. Let me talk to you about grace for a second. You know what grace means? It means undeserved privilege. Good definition. Not mine. Undeserved privilege. Unmerited favor. People like to put the double gift in there. It's when your grace is when you're given an undeserved gift. Like, that's what a gift is. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're given a gift. Like, it is that. That is what grace is. But can I tell you about redemptive grace? Grace that saves. Redemptive grace is not just a gift given to someone who is undeserving. It is a gift given when the undeserving person has also smacked the giver in the face. Redemptive grace, grace that saves, is given when you have demerited it. You have like un-undeserved it. It's when you have been offensive and then grace is still given. When you have fallen short and then the gospel still comes. This is redemptive grace. Redemptive grace is not just a gift given when we don't deserve it. It's a gift given when we didn't deserve it and then, again, we're offending the one giving it. Do you feel me? This is why, family, this is why we need our kids to understand that they have fallen short that they have fallen short because then they understand that although I wanted to be God, there is a God and I'm not him. I've fallen dramatically short of the standard and I needed somebody to come from outside of myself who was perfect and blameless and spotless. I needed him to get into my mess and not only did he get into the mess, but he got into my mess after I turned my back on him, after I rebelled against him and he still got into my mess and saved me and gave me grace. This, when we discipline, this is what we are disciplining towards. This is what must be in our mind. This is what must be in our heart. This is the aim that the Bible presents. We are imparting wisdom, wisdom unto salvation. Listen, family, there is a God, and we are not him. We are his kids. And he disciplines all of us who are really his kids like this. So let me show you Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 picks up on Proverbs 3. It says it almost the exact same way. If we were to think it's just there, let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. And I just want you to see the text read. I just want you to hear it too. It says this. In your struggle against sin, 
you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have, and have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a, fa as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. In that Proverbs 3 stuff. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought, imperfect, best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. What is it saying? That God has given us an earthly picture of a father or a parent who is supposed to remind us, albeit imperfectly, of someone who expels folly, prevents death, and imparts wisdom. But it's to remind us of the heavenly father, the perfect father, as it says in James 1, the father of lights who wants to expel folly from our life, save us from death, and not only impart wisdom, family, but to impart eternal and everlasting life. You see, this is just an earthly illustration of something that's happening spiritually because the Father in heaven says, I want to put my hands on you. I want to come for you. And that hardship you're experiencing is discipline. But it's not discipline from a vindictive God. It's not discipline from a God who just cares about punishment. It's, dic it's discipline from a heavenly Father who loves you, the, who is of the Spirit. And, and what he's doing is he's treating you like a legitimate son and daughter. That hardship, family, wherever it might be in your life right now, whether it's falling short of certain expectations that people have on you, whether it's just the busyness of life and the chaos of life, whether it's you even being redirected and you like you thought you were going this way and now God's got you going this way, or maybe you were sinning and he's showing you the consequences of some of your sin, and you're like, I don't want to live in this anymore, and it's, it's consequence. You're like, why is it consequence? What he's trying to say, like, that hardship, he says, receive it as discipline. This is the grace of God who will not leave you alone. He's not going to put you in this world and take his hands off of you. He loves you too much to do that. Instead, he's going to bring it close and change you. And he's going to come at our sinful nature. Like, he's going to come at some of the folly. And he's like, I don't want you to live like that. So I got to come for it. I got to come at it. I don't want you to die. Like, the wages of sin is death. I don't want you to die. I love you too much for that. I want you to see you can't live up to the standards so that you would receive Christ. I want to impart wisdom to you so that you can live into godliness and holiness. Look what it says. God disciplines us for our good in order that because we may share in his holiness. He wants us to share in the divine benefits that are available to us in Christ through his discipline. 
For some of you, your life might be really hard right now. Might be really hard. And it could be that the Father in heaven is saying, I want you to understand for the first time, I'm your daddy. I'm your daddy. And I want you to know I'm here. And so I'm not letting you just run your life off the tracks. I'm going to stop you so that I can say, I love you. I got you. Don't look to yourself. Look to God. Don't look to yourself. Look to Jesus. Benny, come on up. We, we're going to get a chance to take communion together today as a family, and this is a family meal. And for all of us who come to the table and get to take that bread representing the body of Christ and the juice representing the blood of Christ, we've got two tables in the front, one in the back. We are taking that and kind of recognizing the discipline of God. Sin has consequence. And the consequence of that sin is the death of our Savior. The Father cares so much against, of, about sin that he would allow, he would allow and send Jesus to the cross to die for us to receive new life. And so it's a chance for us to come to the table, to, to partake in the table, and to be reminded that Jesus died for us. And, and whatever maybe hardship we're facing right now, it's a chance for us to confess that before God. And I just encourage you, use, use the time of communion for that. For non-believers and for children out here who don't know Christ, this meal is a chance for your parents to say to you that they mess up too. That they fall short too. That we make mistakes. And we need a good God to save us. And the hope is that one day you too would partake in this meal. That one day you too would realize that you need a good God to die for you. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are indeed our Father, and you're a good Father. You would never discipline us unjustly. You would never do it with a hand of just cruelty. Instead, it is always like that Hebrews 12 verse says, for our good that we might share in holiness. How good are you? How good are you? We pray that this time could be time of worship as we have people around the room who we can pray with and the communion we get to take. There would be a time of worship and we just get the chance to be in the presence of our dad, even when it's hard, but to be in your presence and to have you change us. And we just pray you would change the people of Grace City Church, that you would change us all because we need your change. In the sweet, sweet name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website at www.thegracecity.com to explore all of the ways that you can give, connect, and engage. Thank you again for being with us. Now go live as image bearers of the King.